0: Welcome to News in Context, I'm Gina Baleria. In this episode, we discuss press freedom in the U.S. in the wake of a police raid of the local paper in Marion, Kansas. In that raid, officers confiscated most of the paper's computers and other equipment, leaving its journalists scrambling to publish. Press freedom advocates have criticized Marion's police chief for using tactics generally seen in authoritarian countries. But there are wider concerns over increasing incidents in the U.S. designed to intimidate and silence journalists. My guests are Seth Stern, Director of Advocacy at the Freedom of the Press Foundation, and Kirsten McCudden, Vice President of Editorial at the Freedom of the Press Foundation and Managing Editor of the U.S. Press Freedom Tracker. perspective, how would you describe what happened at a small newspaper in Marion, Kansas?
1: Well, we see it as a particularly egregious press freedom violation. There's no such thing as a non-egregious raid of a newsroom because raids of newsrooms and searches and seizures of newsrooms are illegal under federal law, the Privacy Protection Act, except in very narrow circumstances, essentially where the journalist is suspected of a crime that isn't related to journalism. But even among unlawful searches, this is particularly notable. You know, we're not talking about cops searching somebody's phone that they seized at a protest, which is super problematic in and of itself, but happens more regularly, as Kirsten can tell you from the Press Freedom Tracker. We're, we're, we're talking about authorities, an entire police department actually, ransacking an entire newsroom and a publisher's home um, taking everything, placing the newspaper's ability to publish going forward in doubt, and likely contributing to the death of the paper's 98-year-old co-owner who was home at the time of the raid and, and died the next day, Joan Meyer. So I don't know that we've seen anything quite like this, at least in this country, in my memory. Um, it's the type of thing you expect to see abroad in some authoritarian regime. And it's and it's still shocking when it happens there. Press freedom organizations that focus on other areas of the world, raise alarm bells no matter where something like this happens. One other thing to mention that's sort of unusual about this raid is that the police chief who authorized the raid was reportedly being investigated by the paper for misconduct at a past job. So there's a potential retaliatory component here, in addition to everything else. And and that all needs to be investigated.
0: The point you bring up about the fact that this is so egregious that you can't think in recent memory of another example, it's that egregious, like that we've jumped that far. Kirsten, if you could address maybe, what has the trend been in the US? And was this sort of an expected next step? Or was this really like, even with the trends, this was shocking?
2: Seth is right that it's rare and egregious. Although what we know from the US Press Freedom Tracker, which documents press freedom violations across the United States, is that search and seizures of journalistic equipment does happen. Um, We've documented more than 90, just more than 90 since 2017. So about in the past six years, Only 11 of those have included search warrants, and that's two from Kansas, Uh, both the home raid of the editor and publisher of the Marion County Record and the newsroom raid, part of its scale, too, right? All of the members of the Marion County Police Force descended on the newsroom. There have been a few other examples in San Francisco in 2019, the home and home office of independent journalist Brian Carmody uh, was raided by law enforcement. There were five search warrants for his communications and work product. He was detained for about 10 hours in his home. And months later, the city settled with him and uh, the police department settled with him for more than 300, about $370,000, which speaks to how far off base raiding a journalist's home and home office is. Uh, The Mm -hmm. law enforcement also needed to undergo training as part of that settlement. But, you know, Gina, more recently, actually, in May, uh, in Tampa, Florida, the home and home offices of Tim Burke, his office is known as Burke Communications, um, that was raided by the FBI. They took nine computers from him, four cell phones, nearly 10 storage devices, he's also unable to keep publishing as an independent journalist. So it does happen. All of these should ring alarm bells. You know, in the Carmody case in particular, was he ever
0: charged or convicted or anything like that? No. No, exactly. And in the Florida case with the FBI, were charges ever brought? Did any legal recourse occur? That's
2: still in progress. All of his devices are still uh, with the FBI and no charges have been filed.
1: Similar to this case in Kansas, the government's theory seems to be that accessing a record that is available online somehow constitutes some sort of computer fraud. Um, so there, there is that parallel there. What's interesting about the Burke case in Florida is that in a recent brief the government filed, um, they seem to be questioning whether he is even a journalist on the basis that he does not, you know, work for a known news publication a newspaper a magazine although he used to and that we find troubling because the first amendment is not limited to accredited journalists the first amendment protects the act of journalism not newspapers just like free speech does not only apply to professional speakers anyone can speak and anyone can be a journalist you can make an argument that what happened in kansas is more egregious because it was in the context of a traditional newsroom where there's no dispute that everyone knows, you know, we are raiding a newsroom, we are seizing equipment from journalists. You could also make an argument that it's more egregious to raid a more modern form of, of, of journalists like Mr. Burke and then question whether he is a journalist at all as justification. That's that's really dangerous to, to press freedoms in light of the way the press is evolving in the 21st century.
0: Yeah, I... Really, I'm glad you said that, because when I teach my students, I teach them about doing journalism. I don't teach them about being a journalist, because the act of doing journalism is the act of enlightening the public, the act of, of bringing information. And I know that this argument is far older than 25 years, but I think this really came into the public light in the early 2000s with, with Josh Wolf, uh, who was a blogger here in the Bay Area, who filmed an uh, anarchist protest, and the police wanted his footage, and he said, no, you can have what's published, which is exactly what any newsroom I've ever worked in has said. And the police uh, said, but you're not a journalist. So he was held in contempt for a long time and detained. But I I think also that that argument resonates a little with the public. Like If you think about some of these incidents we've been talking about, um, this is a newspaper with publishing offices, and it's stunning and shocking. And when it's an individual's home who's doing journalism online or something like that, I think the public, too, doesn't quite see that rise to the level of journalism. And so there's this uh, public education component as
1: well. I think that's a fair point, that journalism has evolved and that um, not everyone understands the way it's evolved. Not everyone understands that a journalist doesn't necessarily need to be someone who works for a newsroom, or even a freelancer. Someone can be a journalist on their own. If you are gathering and disseminating information to the public from sources, you're, you're practicing journalism. As, as, as you said, it's about active journalism, not some accredited status. When you hear freedom of the press, and that's the concept everyone's familiar with, if they have a basic knowledge of the constitution, they hear that and they think, journalists people who work for the new york times and they think that that's what freedom of the press is about but you know at the time that that language was written there wasn't a press like we think of it today the press at that time most people were amateurs you know uh, posting bulletins and and that was the freedom of the press it was in reference to the printing press just access to technology needed to disseminate information You, you you can't interfere with someone's ability to gather and disseminate information Press was in reference to the technology of the time, but now the technology is different. The same principle applies.
2: Kirsten, anything you'd like to add? Well, Gina, one thing when you talked about how you speak to your students about who is a journalist uh, and what it means to gather and disseminate news today, you know, one thing we really should touch on that came out of these Marion County uh, record raids is how important it is to protect yourself and your news Mm -hmm. gathering materials, uh, your reporting materials, uh, when you're a journalist. And that's something that is really neat about Freedom of the Press Foundation is we have a digital security training team that actually trains journalists, goes to where you are, to where journalists are in newsrooms or one-on-one to make sure that you're up to date on the best practices for device security not just that we published them on uh, the site just this morning Seth was up early publishing together with our principal researcher what we really learned about encryption how important end-to-end encryption for your files is certainly when uh, you want to protect that information as a public citizen or when you're in the process of news gathering the raids were caught on security camera footage which have been released by the Marion County record, and a couple minutes in, about two and a half minutes in, uh, we see a uh, Marion County police officer take a computer and say essentially, I don't think this one is encrypted. And we don't know. We don't know if that is a true statement or not. But what we do know is We hope it was. And that as a journalist, we hope that uh, you are encrypting all of your files. And there's some really great guides. I can't recommend them enough on how to harden is a term for it. Your phone um, and your backup disks, how to make backups. Right now, the Marion County record is... Having difficulty publishing. Uh, They said they did not know if they were going to be able to keep publishing because everything was taken. And it speaks to the importance of uh, backup disks that are also encrypted. So I highly, highly recommend uh, those
0: guides. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I will say, I just listened to NPR two seconds before we got onto this, and they did a report that the Marion County paper is publishing today That's great. Uh, because of help from donors and help from uh, people coming in to sort of support them, but that it's been difficult, of course, yeah. because they've had to recreate classifieds. It's not just even the the hard-hitting front page story. They have to re- recreate the classifieds. They have to recreate all the things. So that just speaks to the tenacity of a journalist and the, the importance we all take in getting the story out in any way we can. What is the recourse here? We talked a little bit about other cases that have happened around the country, but what can the paper in Kansas do here to hold the police department accountable or seek Justice, and I'm making some assumptions that the police department is in the wrong. this has not been adjudicated, but given you know my my perspective as a as a press freedom advocate and former journalist uh, and obviously you the experts here with me, this feels egregious
1: so the uh, Privacy Protection act, which I mentioned that's that that's the law that prohibits um, searches of newsrooms and seizures of journalist devices except under narrow circumstances, allows for journalists to to sue for for, for violations of that act. Um, unfortunately, there are some defenses available to law enforcement. They can basically say we were acting in good faith. It was on, an honest mistake. You know, my bad. And that's a defense. Um, in this case, the facts do not point to an honest mistake. And I would hope that's the way a judge would see it. There's also a law called Section 1983, which permits lawsuits against local governments and and officials for egregious violations of the Constitution. It can, again, be a tough standard to meet. It's an exception to the general immunity of government officials from from civil suit. Um, But I think this raid was more than outrageous enough to qualify from what we know so far and the information that kind of keeps trickling out. Um, Aside from that, state and federal investigators can also take action. The KBI, the Kansas Bureau of Investigations, has now taken over the case from the Marion authorities. And some commentators have noted that, you know, at first the KBI was making statements like, well, the press isn't above the law. And they seem to have dialed that down quite a bit. And now, if you read between the lines of the statements they're making, it seems possible that they're actually investigating the cops, not just the newspaper. The DOJ, of course, on the federal level could also get involved in something like this. You're listening to News in Context. I'm Gina Baleria. In this
0: episode, we explore press freedom in the U.S. My guests are Kirsten McCudden and Seth Stern of the Freedom of the Press Foundation. Whatever
1: recourse the law provides, the most important recourse might be in the court of public opinion. Um, The press is often hesitant to write about press freedom issues for fear of sort of making itself the story. It's been heartening to see the press Report on this um, at not only the local, but the national and international level Um, And you can see the interest that the story has has generated and Sure, there are particularly egregious and, and tragic aspects of this case Someone died that might separate it from other press freedom stories But I think you can tell from the response to this that press freedom isn't just some insider issue for the media it affects everyone's right to know and and people understand that and people want to read about it when the press freedom of the media that they rely on is, is, is violated. So hopefully this momentum continues and that can prompt official action. There's pressure on the DOJ or the KBI or whoever it may be to act when they see that the public cares.
0: To your point, Um, it's been reported that people from all over the country are buying digital subscriptions to the record and trying to support the record in any way possible. And that's really heartening to see that the public is paying attention to these stories and that they matter. Kirsten, you uh, oversee the Press Freedom Tracker. Why is press freedom so important? Why should this
2: story be important to us? A free press, a cantankerous press, as we like to say, uh, is one that Holds power to account. It's easy to lose sight of how important it is to have a watchdog press. But without that, uh, when that ability is chilled by um, actions like a raid, where you might be afraid that all of your news gathering material is gone, when news gathering can be chilled by fear of receiving a subpoena and having to turn over confidential sources, we lose the ability to really investigate uh, and bring to the public at its heart. Journalism is a public service. It's for the people, by the people. um, And it is so important to keep our democracy what it is.
0: Seth, anything you'd like
2: to add? It's
1: sort of an umbrella issue for everything else. No matter what your number one cause is, if you're someone who's passionate about Healthcare reform fighting climate change fighting police brutality um, go through the list of what someone's sort of favorite cause might be you need information you need thorough unbiased clear information from the press in order to um, fight that fight and sometimes you need well articulated opinion to put that information in context so press freedom should matter to you no matter what your number one priority is. And in Marion, you know, we've heard that residents there now are afraid to voice their opinions about what happened because they're they're concerned they'll get raided too. So when you see things like what happened in Marion, those actions are not legitimately intended to investigate crimes. As you brought up, Mr. Carmody in, in California, never even charged. Um, Even if the record had done something illegal in accessing records online, I don't think anyone can genuinely argue that a full-on raid by the entire police department and ransacking of the entire newsroom and the owner's house is in any way proportionate to even the worst-case scenario, which I guess is that they clicked a button on a website that they shouldn't have clicked. In, In no universe does that justify what actually happened, and my belief is that police know that. And they're conducting these kinds of actions to intimidate, not to legitimately and in good faith prosecute um, any form of wrongdoing. And the reason that law enforcement wants to intimidate the press is because they recognize that the press is a surrogate to the public. So it's not only about the press. If these people were, were writing news articles and nobody was reading them, police would leave them alone. The reason police are raiding their newsroom, seizing their equipment, violating press freedom in, in any number of other ways is because they know the press is where you, where members of the public, get their information and they want to shut that down.
0: I'm so glad you said that because let's entertain for a moment the concept that maybe a law was violated, even if that were true, which it appears not to be. This still is an egregious uh, violation or a a big overstep. How can journalists protect themselves in these types of situations uh, when they are facing intimidation, facing uh, pushback from authorities, uh, from power in, in the effort to hold power to account?
1: Well, Kirsten spoke about encryption, which is an extremely important step journalists can take to protect against searches and seizures. Encryption can make it really difficult, even impossible for police to search devices they illegally seized. Even if police have a way to circumvent the encryption, it'll buy journalists time to object and assert their rights before a search occurs, uh, because it, it will take time to break through encryption. Even in, in the event that it is possible, police will need to explore alternate ways of getting at the information besides just you know turning on the phone and, and, and searching it. In other circumstances, We often advise journalists who are going into a situation where they might face police, be arrested, to write legal support numbers on their person, on their arm, whatever it may be. Have your editor's information handy. Have a lawyer's information handy. There are legal services organizations like the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press that operates a hotline that journalists can call for help. So freelancers, independent journalists... Journalists for small papers in places like Marion, Kansas, should not assume that just because they don't work for a behemoth media conglomerate that has an army of lawyers on retainer, that doesn't mean that they are without recourse and without an ability to assert their rights. There are plenty of people who value press freedom and are willing to help in circumstances like those. I
0: wanted to ask about federal versus state laws, particularly around protections. Sometimes state laws are a little bit more Robust as far as shield laws and protecting against search and seizure. And Seth, uh, if you could address a little bit about maybe the difference in federal and state law, and where you see some holes that need to be filled.
1: The Privacy Protection Act that we've been talking about—that's a federal law, but it applies to the states as well. So there are remedies under the Privacy Protection Act, even though this was not a federal law enforcement agency, the Marion Police that conducted the raid. They are still bound by the Privacy Protection Act, so that's great. Shield laws are intended to prohibit or restrict the circumstances under which subpoenas can issue to journalists and under which journalists can be compelled, whether by a subpoena or some other administrative order, to disclose the identities of their sources and their news gathering materials. 49 states have a S.H.I.E.L.D. law at this point. The exception is um, Wyoming. The strength of the S.H.I.E.L.D. laws vary state to state. Now, S.H.I.E.L.D. laws... Generally, contemplate subpoenas, not search warrants and raids. That's because search warrants and raids are already dealt with under the Privacy Protection Act. They're illegal already. So, that's not generally what shield laws are, are, are intended for. They, they, they sort of assume that that's already taken care of and they deal with the next option, which is a subpoena. The attorney representing the record, Bernie Rhodes, relies on Kansas's shield law in his letter to the Marion authorities. Um, and, and that law, like others, restricts compelled disclosure of sources and news gathering materials. And he's right to rely on it. Yeah, it doesn't directly address police raids, but I think it's a reasonable assumption that if Kansas lawmakers it fit to restrict subpoenas to journalists, they wouldn't look favorably on raids like this one. Subpoenas at least allow the recipient to file a motion, object in court, make arguments to a judge about why the judge shouldn't allow the subpoena. Uh, warrants like this one don't provide those safeguards. The judge signs off on it without ever hearing from from the reporter. So searches like these are, 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 you know, a worse infringement on the press than subpoenas, which which Kansas law also restricts. There's also no federal shield law. Different federal courts apply the First Amendment differently to restrict the government from forcing journalists to burn their sources. Um, some don't apply it at all. Like this, I live in in, in, in the Chicago area, that's in the Seventh Circuit. They don't recognize the reporter's privilege. Other federal circuits do. Um, so there's the same kind of unpredictability and, and lack of uniformity. There's a very strong federal shield bill in Congress right now called the Press Act. It's got bipartisan support in both chambers. Um, we're doing everything we can to get it through Congress. It passed the House Judiciary Committee unanimously. Um, with, I think, seven Democrats sponsoring it and six Republicans. So there's support all over Congress, um, and that would provide much-needed consistency at the federal level so journalists won't be surveilled, subpoenaed, forced to burn sources going forward. That's been a problem under administrations from, from both parties. So no matter where you are politically... Um, The Press Act is, is something that anyone who values press freedom should support. And we're really hoping that this is the year it'll happen.
0: There's a case in court right now. The Fox News reporter needs to reveal FBI sources after loss on a subpoena. That's at the federal level. So the Press Act would address that case as well, yes?
1: Yes, that would be one of many circumstances that the Press Act would address. And actually, I think the judge in one of the orders issued in that case responded to arguments that the first amendment should protect against disclosure of the source by saying well the federal government has not adopted a shield law yet so that's telling that the judge relied on the absence of a shield law to allow that subpoena to go forward hopefully that will be appealed and hopefully the journalists will prevail on appeal but um as of now Federal courts have a lot of discretion on when to allow or not allow subpoenas. And you've, you get a lot of inconsistent results and a lot of journalists who are um, forced to make a decision no journalist should ever be forced to make. Do I burn my sources or do I go to prison? So
0: how can we, average everyday people, support local journalism and push back on these types of incidents? Kirsten. Gina,
2: I like that you already mentioned the Marion County record that subscriptions have been pouring in from uh, across the nation and beyond to support uh, Kansas right now and what's going on. You know, Seth mentioned the Press Act that's getting involved, uh, working with your locally elected official uh, to let them know how important this is to you. Those are two things right there. Support your local news and work with your local officials to let them know what's the Things like the Press Act are important to all of us.
1: That's right. You know, subscribe to your local paper, place ads in it if you have a business. If it's a not-for-profit, make donations or make donations to organizations that help support local journalism. Um, Read and share local news content on social media. Bring eyes to it. If your local paper is reporting the same thing that The Washington Post is reporting, how about spread your local papers' uh, version of the story so that people understand that you know the, the the journalists on the ground are probably going to have a unique perspective on what's going on in their city or town, um, despite the fact that the national media might be might be interested. You know, there's a lot of great journalism going on in Kansas right now about the Marion raid, in addition to the great journalism happening at the national level. We mentioned the Press Act. There's a great bill pending in Congress called the Community News and Small Business Support Act. And what that would do is give a payroll tax credit to media outlets that employ journalists. Um, That's that's really important because a lot of local media outlets are are struggling financially, um, those that have not gone under already. So you can tell your representative to support that bill and other bills that benefit local journalism. Um, In the case of the Marion Daily Record, I know that the Society of Professional Journalists has a legal defense fund, and you can donate online and earmark your donation to the Marion County Record. I also noticed that the funeral announcement for Joan Myers, the co-owner, the 98-year-old woman who, who, who died um, the day after the raid, likely as a result of shock, uh, her funeral announcement requested donations to the Kansas Newspaper Foundation. So those are a few places you might be able to go. Is there
0: anything you want to add that I didn't ask you you think it's important for people to know. Kirsten.
2: Use the U.S. Press Freedom Tracker to know what threats do exist um, across the U.S. for journalists. Um, That knowledge is everything. Having that kind of knowledge of what you might face and know the resources for it.
1: In this year's Press Freedom Rankings Worldwide, published by Reporters Without Borders, the U.S. was 45th. Uh, The year before, I believe it was 42. So although we don't see things like what happened in Marion here every day, um, we should by no means assume as Americans that because we've got the First Amendment and because we talk a big game when it comes to press freedom, that we're beyond reproach. Like We've got some real problems here, and it can quickly get a lot worse. And I hope that incidents like what happened in Marion will will serve as a wake up call. So thanks so much for, for bringing attention to this issue, it's really important.
0: Thank you to my guests, Seth Stern, Director of Advocacy at the Freedom of the Press Foundation, and Kirsten McCudden, Vice President of Editorial at the Freedom of the Press Foundation and Managing Editor of the U.S. Press Freedom Tracker. Find resources and guides to protect your privacy and security at freedom.press. And see the U.S. Press Freedom Tracker at pressfreedomtracker.us. Music in this episode includes Spring Fling by Track Tribe, and The Heist by Silent Partner. In addition to hearing News in Context every Friday at 8.30 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on KSFP 102.5 in San Francisco, you can hear it on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iHeart Media, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Podbean, YouTube, and PRX. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at News in Context SF and on Instagram at News in Context. And you can find links to all of that at newsincontext.net. I'm Gina Valeria. Thank you for listening.